You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and you do good. Teach me your statutes. The insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart I keep your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. It's good for me that I was afflicted that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Those are verses 65 to 72 of Psalm 119, verses 49 to 72, of which are the psalm appointed for today, Wednesday, March the 9th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along. We're continuing our uh, romp through the books of Deuteronomy. Today we're in Deuteronomy 9, verses 13 to 21. We, uh, the gospel lesson today is John two twenty three to three fifteen, and the um, epistle is the letter to the Hebrews chapter three verses twelve to nineteen. So, <clears throat> remember that Moses is is giving them warnings about ha- how to possess the land and how to live in the land, and the biggest concern that he's had in the last couple of readings has to do with the 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 fear that the people will forget the lord once they come into the land they'll begin to to believe that it, that well he chose us because we were special and we were good and we were righteous or he'll he'll uh that my arm my own strength my might my my wits all that got me all this uh in spite of the fact that the, it was all by him every single thing is he's responsible for everything that they have and all their prosperity so that's the issue um, that he's dealing with here. So furthermore, the Lord said to me, I've seen this people, and behold, it's a stubborn people. Because he had called them a stubborn people yesterday. And he said, hey, I'm, I'm not the one who gave that judgment. It was God who gave that judgment. It's exactly what he said. It's exactly the same thing that you hear in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, with Stephen. You're a stiff-necked people. He, he's saying the same thing. And the prophets say it again and again and again. Um, he says, let me alone. Well, let me back up. Furthermore, the Lord said to me, I've seen this people and behold, it's a stubborn people. Let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven. And I will make of you a nation mightier and greater than they. In other words, I'm going to do away with them and I'll start all over again with you, which is exactly what God did. So I turned and came down from the mountain and the mountain was burning with fire. Now, there's two things going on there, right? So that was not exactly the sequence of events that happened. In fact, what happened was is that that Moses actually, when God said, leave him alone, he, he didn't do that. He pleaded with the Lord first. And and the way that a lot of rabbis will teach it is because is, is that God signaled to him when he said, leave me alone, that I might go ahead and destroy these people in my wrath, that, that uh, Moses heard that. And said, oh, the last thing I'm going to do then is leave you alone. And so he stood and pleaded with the people and got an answer before he went down the mountain. So he, so when he says, I turned and came down from the mountain, it's after he made intercession for the people that, that he said, no, I won't go. If you're going to do that, then I'm not going to go. No, it's a promise you made to Abraham. So and so I turned and came down the mountain. The mountain was burning with fire, and the two tablets of the covenant were in my two hands. And I looked, and behold, you had sinned against the Lord your God. You had made yourselves a golden calf. You had turned aside quickly from the way that the Lord had commanded you. So I took hold of the two tablets and threw them out of my two hands and broke them before your eyes. So the covenant was annulled 
at that point. There was no record of the covenant still existing. And so in a way, what he was saying is you didn't break these laws because they're, they're broken now. And he had to go back up the mountain. He said, I lay prostrate before the Lord as before, 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water. So he's fasted twice for 40 days with only a break to come down the mountain <clears throat> because of the sin you had committed in doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure that the Lord bore against you so that he was ready to destroy you. But the Lord listened to me that time also. So as I said yesterday, one of the, the roles that Moses played with the people is, is that he was a, a prophet. And, and in what way was he a prophet? Well, he was the person who made the Lord's will known to the people and the people's prayers and supplications known to the Lord. And so he represented the people to the Lord and the Lord to the people. And that's the function of a prophet. <clears throat> and the Lord was so angry with Aaron that he was ready to destroy him. And I prayed for Aaron also at the same time. Then I took the sinful thing, the calf that you had made, and burned it with fire and crushed it, grinding it until very, very small until it was as fine as dust, and I threw the dust of it into the brook that ran down from the mountain. So Moses is recounting, hey, you wouldn't even be here if it weren't for me. <laughs> I, I interceded for you before the Lord when you had sinned grievously against him, and the only reason you're here is because of me. And I want you to remember that when you start to begin to think that it's something somehow um, some greatness in you that caused the Lord to choose you and give you this land and this prosperity. I want you to remember who you are <laughs> and who you are as a stubborn and stiff-necked people. And so it, it's it, you can hear in that same story a fear in Moses. And the fear that you hear has to do with he was gone for 40 days. And it, and it only in those 40 days did it take for them to make new gods. So what about when he's gone permanently? How long will it take them to turn away from following the Lord and do something else? And he's, he's concerned because he knows he's going to die. And so he's concerned not about Joshua's leadership, but the people's followership. He's concerned because he's seen it. He's seen them reject him, and he's seen them turn just because the leader's not there anymore. And so he's concerned that that's what's going to happen. And so he recounts the story in order to remind them how disobedient they're capable of being and how quickly things can go badly. And so it's important, I think, always. One of the things that he said yesterday, remember, was that you'll forget him by failing to do the things he told, told you to do. And so the, one of the ways in which we remember is by doing. Why do we do this? And that's what they have to say. Why, why do we, what what's, makes this night different than any other? And then why do we do the things that we do? Why do we keep the festivals? Why do we do all those things? Well, it's to remind us so that we don't forget what he has done for us and that we owe everything to him. That's the whole point of all the festivals in Judaism. And it should be the point of our worship together whenever we gather on Sundays, Wednesdays, whenever it is that we gather, that should be the point, is to remember the things that he has done for us and then begin to come out of that place and walking in the things he gave us to do. It, in, with the gospel today, remember yesterday, we, he had come to Jerusalem for the Passover, and that's when he had thrown out the uh, money ch changers and the sellers of sacrificial animals from the temple, and now it continues. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. 
So they began to believe that Jesus was somebody. We're not sure exactly what anybody believed at this point. They began to believe in his name, which is the Lord saves. What does it mean that they believed in his name that that weren't believing for salvation because he hadn't done the work necessary to do that, and he didn't come to say, that's why I'm here. He's not doing these signs for that reason. He's doing the signs to point to the reality of who he is. And so they believed in his name because they saw the signs. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man because he, all things were created through him. So what does it mean that he wouldn't entrust himself to them? He wouldn't tell them who he was. He showed them the signs where they could come up with their own conclusion, but he didn't just stand up and say, yes, I'm the, I'm the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Because he knew, ultimately, how this is going to end. He knows it's going to end with these same people, a couple of years later, shouting, crucify him, after acclaiming him as king when he came into town that same week. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. He, he, was, he was an important personage in Jerusalem and in Judaism. This man came to Jesus by night. In other words, he, he didn't confront him during the day. And you can see a parallel between this and when the soldiers come to arrest Jesus at night. Now, Nicodemus is honestly seeking, but he's, he's not willing to do it during the day. Because he, it's not, you know, he could be accused by others of, of being bought into a lie or a conspiracy theory, right? So, so he comes at night and says to him, Rabbi, it's pretty high praise, to be honest with you. Um, that, that Nicodemus, one of the rulers of the Jews, refers to Jesus as a rabbi, knowing, as he does, that Jesus hasn't been in the great rabbinic schools. And so the fact that he's recognizing him as a rabbi is a recognition that he's heard him and he's seen him. And, and he has come to believe that much. And so, as I told you yesterday, in John, belief is an unfolding thing. So the disciples believed in him because he turned the water into wine. People believed in him because of the signs that they saw. But what did they believe? I mean, it's not full-blown belief like we're capable of having today because the Holy Spirit hasn't been given, and Jesus hasn't finished the mission yet. So, it, And when he tells them what the mission is, nobody believes him. They say, well, that's not scriptural. So here, it's, it's a huge step that, that Nicodemus is willing to receive Jesus and, and address him as rabbi. And then it continues with, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you're doing unless God is with him. So he is confessing there's something really different about you. I'm willing to say rabbi, and then I'm not sure what to make of everything else, but it's pretty amazing. But you're clearly somebody who was sent from God. So he believes certain things about Jesus, but... but Jesus answers and says, truly, truly, which is amen, amen. I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, you can just see the look on his face, right? How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I mean, he's genuinely confused by this. He's, he's, he's trying to interpret the words that Jesus is saying, and he has no frame of reference for it. There, there's not a place where it talks about being born again in the Old Testament. Now, what you could say is, is, is that whenever God gives his spirit, which is the promise that's made through Jeremiah, at least, of, of that, that he'll put his spirit in a man and write the laws on their hearts, that's born again is what that means. If he's going to write the laws on our hearts rather than tablets, then that's what it means to be born again, is, is that, that we have it internally rather than an external word. And so Jesus says... Uh, Amen, amen, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Those are two different kinds of things, right? There's two different kinds of entities, those things that are born of the flesh and those things that are born of the spirit. Those are two different kinds of things. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born in the Spirit. It's, there's an enigmatic nature to those who are born of the Spirit, and it, but it's only enigmatic to those who don't know the Lord. It, it, it seems uh, odd and ephemeral, but it, there's more to it than that. It's a substantial thing that happens, and, and it's... It requires us to be born again, and Nicodemus doesn't really want to be born again. I mean, he's in a pretty good place. He, he's Jewish. He's also a ruler of the Jews. He's a Pharisee, so he is somebody. For him to be born again is to take an unnecessary chance with salvation, right? Because what if he's born a Gentile? So he, he got pretty lucky as far as he's concerned with the life lottery to start with, and now Jesus is talking about being born again, and then, then he takes it into this whole spiritual kind of a discussion, that, and, and Nicodemus is baffled by this, and he says, how can these things be? I don't have any clue what you're talking about, and that's Jesus picks up on it and says, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you don't know these things? He's speaking personally to him there, but then he goes on to say, amen, amen, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you, and then that's the plural you there, y'all, the Pharisees, don't receive our testimony. So how, what is it that qualifies you to be a teacher of Israel? You, you've acknowledged that I'm a rabbi, a teacher come from God, but what is it that, that it makes you a teacher? In, in other words, you, you may not be coming from God. If you don't understand the things that I'm talking about, if you don't understand the spiritual things that I'm talking about, then then what qualification do you actually have? It's, it's confusing to me that you're a teacher of Israel and you don't understand the things that I'm talking about today. He said, if I've told you earthly things and you don't believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one's ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that ever believes in him may have eternal life. And that was the point of Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness was that people had to look and gaze on that serpent, but they had to, they had to believe that this odd solution actually worked. And so they had to look in faith, believing that looking at the bronze serpent would save them from the bite of the, well, real serpents. And so there's, there's always the thing that we struggle with, I think, that we struggle more with what we see than what we don't see, because we essentially live as though there is no unseen realm. We spend most of our lives in denial that there's anything other than the, than the material and the concrete, and, and that's just, Jesus says, a lie, that you're believing the wrong thing if you don't believe in these eternal and unseen things if you don't believe that they're more powerful, if you don't understand the earthly things, then you can't understand the spiritual things at all. And so with Nicodemus, he goes away confused, but we know that he continues and perseveres in keeping an eye on Jesus, at least, because he comes with Joseph of Arimathea at the end to claim the body of Jesus. And so the belief is, is that Nicodemus certainly was an important person in the early church around Jerusalem. So but he, had, he believed some things this day, but then he didn't believe everything. And it's the same with the people in the wilderness. They believed certain things about God. But after Moses was gone for 40 days, and then they thought longer, then, then they lost that faith. And so they created something and put faith into the thing that they created. And we're all capable of doing that very thing. It may not be a uh, golden calf, but it could be almost anything that we put our faith and trust in. In the Hebrews passage, 
he begins by saying, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So be careful about this. Keep your heart unstained and keep it in faith. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. He's saying as long as time endures, then uh, exhort one another that you may not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. It's exactly what Moses is concerned about in that other passage, is is that, that we need to be there to speak truth to one another and speak encouragement to one another on, a, on an everyday basis. We need that encouragement from brothers and sisters in Christ. For we've come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? The rebellion is the, the events that Moses was um, alluding to in the, in the speech in Deuteronomy today. And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Wasn't it those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. And that's the thing Jesus is exhorting Nehemiah, uh, not, not Nehemiah, Nicodemus to believe. In spite of the fact that he doesn't understand, he's encouraging him to believe, but he's also encouraging him to understand, but says also that you're not going to understand until you're born of the Spirit. And nobody at that time had been born of the Spirit. The Spirit had been given from time to time to the prophets and others who spoke in prophetic ways, but it was not generally given to to people. And so to understand the things that Jesus was talking about actually requires the Holy Spirit today, and it required it then. But we've got to attune ourselves to the spiritual. We've got to attune ourselves to the reality that transcends the reality that we see that there's more to everything than we can ever actually imagine is Jesus's whole point. And don't dabble with and play with spiritual things unless you understand those spiritual things because it's dangerous business.